We all want to feel like we belong somewhere. And we do. We're here in our own little community. We're part of the University of King's College Audio Workshop, working to bring you these stories week after week. Hello, and welcome to The Signal Podcast. I'm Kathleen Jones. And I'm Laura Hardy. Today, we're bringing you stories about community. The ones we create and the ones we feel drawn to. Stay tuned to get an insider look on Dungeons and Dragons, right from the mouths of a wizard and a dungeon master themselves. We also explore how men find a healthy way to cope with loneliness in their cities. And we'll hear from a Dalhousie professor who talks about the concept of community and how we define that feeling. Nagin Hamed is a first-generation Iranian immigrant. She's on the board of the Iranian Cultural Society of Nova Scotia. She says that's helped her embrace and appreciate her culture and her community. She spoke with Dorsa Islami about finding her place in a new country. I was nine years old when we first came to, to Canada. I was in grade four, and I still remember the first day I walked into Tower Road Elementary School and my grade four teacher introduced me to all the classrooms and at that point, I don't know if they still do this or not, but they, she had to basically say, okay, well, this is Nagin, yada, yada, yada. Where, where, who is she gonna sit with? And everyone raised their hands and everyone was super welcoming. So I'm a first generation um, immigrant. And one of the biggest things that I wanted to make sure that we continued doing is um, making sure that our heritage was still valid. And growing up, I mean, the Greek community and the Lebanese community have done such a fantastic job um, establishing themselves in this city. And I feel like the Iranian society and the community still has a long way to go to, to, to develop into that area. And I wanted to just make sure that I had a part of it. So that was the reason why I actually became as a board member of the, the society. When I do say I'm from Iran or I'm Persian or I'm Iranian, they're completely shocked. Like, why are you not covered? Why are you drinking? <laughs> you grow up in a country where, you know, you don't have family. And these Iranians and this community becomes your family. I just got married this summer and the majority of the attendees or the guests were people from the community that, that were representing that family aspect of it, right? They recently started doing a, um, a Iranian festival. So it's hosted on probably typically late August sometime. But the goal of that is to bring in people to let them know this is what Iran this is what Iran is it's it's not about the nuclears it's not about <laughs> everything else that you see on the media it's it's about the kebabs it's about the poetry it's about the arts it's about the persian rugs it's a lot of partying it's a lot of dancing it's we're genuinely happy people well, there's a lot of love, um, there's a lot of 
giving. Hospitality just comes naturally to us. That was Nagin Hamed speaking with Dorsa Islami. Check out the Iranian winter solstice celebration called Yalda at Pier 21 on December 22nd. You can head to icsns.org to get your tickets for a night of dancing and joy. Halifax has a growing number of international students from the Caribbean. Moving from one country to another can be scary and lonely, but plugging into a Caribbean community gives them a sense of home. Maya Palacio is a student here at King's who's from Bermuda. She sat down with a fellow Bermudian and a friend from the Bahamas to talk about their cultural differences and how those fade out when they find themselves together in Canada. My name is Ava Mayer. I'm from Bermuda. I've been in Halifax about two months. So my name is Quinn. I'm from the Bahamas, Freeport, Grand Bahama, and I've been in Halifax for five years. Why is Caribbean society important to me? Just so you can have that sense of home away from home, because like a lot of people don't have any sort of family here if you're coming from away. You feel like that sense of closeness that even though I don't know, like I've never even been to Bermuda, but I still like vibe with your culture because it's kind of similar and that goes for any other Caribbean country. Once I did find like the two people who were who I went to school with who actually were from the Caribbean, we we were like immediately sort of like, this is our little society here and, who you know, we're going to discuss all of our Caribbean things and no one else can relate to this sort of thing, you know. People like to assume that, you know, Bermuda, Bahamas, Barbados were all the same. But we're not, and there are differences. So, like, one definitely is population. Like, for Bermuda, it's 64,000. What's it like in Bahamas? Um, About 400,000. Definitely way more than we are. What are the events like in Bahamas? Uh, the biggest event that we have is Junkanoo. It's just like a parade when we have, like, music, uh, goatskin drums, brass, dancers. It's It's similar to Carnival, but... <laughs> more clothing, more, more, <laughs> more costumes, and the costumes are made from cardboard and paper mache. Interesting. I actually have never heard of that. Yeah, me neither. Yeah, 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 yeah that's, that's different. Super interesting, though. On our side, the biggest event is probably cup match, which is a lot less, you know. Um, Clothes. I, <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say it's just it's just a lot more like. Just like one big party. And other than that, it, it would be at Carnival. I don't think all Carnival is as big. No. As like, yeah. And definitely like way less intense. I have a friend from Barbados in high school and he was like, this is a joke compared to back home, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I feel like uh, Bermudians in general are often seen as like less Caribbean. Just because like, ge- I mean, geographically, we just aren't a part of that. And like, I think culturally, there are slight differences in the way that like our societies have come up. Whenever you look for like another Caribbean group, like it's it's all love. It's all basically one family. So like it doesn't matter where you're from, like St. Lucia, Bermuda, Jamaica or anything like that. Like you feel like that sense of closeness. I was extremely shocked to see how many people are on the East Coast. It's crazy to me, mind boggling that we all come to this cool country. But yeah. <laughs> for sure. Yeah, and I think we come from such small, tight-knit communities. So I think having that really strong, like, Caribbean culture was really, really helpful. And it's really important to me because it sort of preserves our culture. 
That was Maya Palacio, a Bermudian student here at King's. She was talking to Ava Mayer, also from Bermuda, and Quinn Brown from the Bahamas. Finding a sense of community is just one of the struggles Indigenous students face. But that, at least, could be starting to change. Stats Canada reports Indigenous post-secondary graduation rates are increasing. Patrick Smallwegs Nagy is the Special Advisor on Indigenous Affairs to the President at Mount St. Vincent University. He says universities have started making space for Indigenous students to create their own communities on campus. More Indigenous content in curriculum is important. Indigenizing the campus as much as possible. So we have a wigwam on campus here. Actually just came down a couple weeks ago. We stored for the winter because it is made of canvas. And we want the, the longevity of it, so we do a lot around indigenizing campus, community involvement. That one, to me, is probably the biggest, having community involved. The former president had the foresight to understand that uh, the education needs of indigenous students was unique and that in order to make indigenous students feel inclusive, um, the Aboriginal Student Centre, actually where my office is housed, was created in 2013. She also knew that um, in order to move with initiatives on campus, it was good to hear it from the community. They really given them what they need so that when they started their courses, they weren't falling behind because that happens with Indigenous students across the country where they, they get on campus, fall behind, never really catch up, and then they go home at Christmas where there's comfort and you know home surrounding and sometimes they won't come back. That was Patrick Smallwegs Nagy speaking with Kayla Jefford Moore. Communities are a place for us to find other people we can become comfortable with, or sometimes a place we can explain our discomforts with others. Jeff Carabano teaches at the Dalhousie School of Social Work. He spoke with Jonah Cole about the feeling of finding community, whether it comes from shared circumstance or from a sense of cultural belonging. Distinctions and uniqueness in terms of gender, sexual orientation, race, ethnicity, language, within communities that can make people feel deeply, deeply distant or very close. So I think we have this, there's, there's, there's always a fear of, of kind of painting communities as only as having only one kind of value norm ritual ceremonial aspect when they are they're very rich and very diverse my research and clinical practice has focused on kind of homeless uh, people experiencing homelessness and it was amazing when they they didn't know each other when they connected and understood that what they were going through was not unlike what others were going through, and the, the and that building of a more collective critical response to to their occurrences shook them in ways that it was amazing to see how their personalities changed. So the idea of seeking out people who have, ex have similar experiences has such deep, profound psychological distinctions in terms of attempting to build a better quality of life safe spaces, which we can call community, can, can really foster kind of a deeper wellness in, in, in all of us. 
We're talking about community today, what it means and what it feels like to be part of one. And we want to hear from you. Tweet us at Signal Radio HFX and tell us what communities you're a part of and why. So, Laura, there are a lot of other kinds of communities. Some of them gather around shared interests. And even if you've never played the game, you probably know someone who does. I am talking about Dungeons & Dragons, the high fantasy tabletop game. People who play create little communities together to live out a novel world. I talked to Wizard, I talked to Wizard Justin Moyer and Dungeon Master Brenna Thibodeau about what their D&D communities mean to them. The door bursts open and in come four goblins. I'm Justin Moyer and I play Dungeons and Dragons. My name is Brenna Thibodeau, I play Dungeons and Dragons. I was introduced by other nerdy friends actually in a theater project I was working on at one time. I watched Critical Role, um, which is a podcast about people playing D&D. I was like, I want to do this. The social aspect is great. I mean, it's always just four people cooperating for four hours or so. Hanging out with all my friends is really fun. Doing it while you're building a story, it's a really great way to cut together, I think. Yeah, because you're you're kind of being vulnerable in a strange way because you're actually, like, usually embodying these characters, which means putting yourself out there. And, yeah, it's just just kind of sharing of, like, jokes all the time. When I started out, I had people in my group that didn't know each other at all, and now they're actually, I think, pretty good friends because it's such a collaborative thing. You really build up bonds with people very quickly. Everyone else was a stranger before we started playing, and now we just have more friends because of them. I really feel close to the people I play with, and I hope they feel close to me. If it is a community, it's a very small one, but there is that sense of kind of togetherness and mutual support and empathy. This is a way to get out of your own head and make friends, and it just feels good to be part of something collaborative. That was Wizard Justin Moyer and Dungeon Master Brenna Thibodeau. Thanks, Kathleen. That was magical. Ha ha ha. Finding community in a physical space is not always an option, especially when you're part of a niche community. Tyler Anderson is a NASCAD student whose search for community has taken him to Tumblr and around the world. He spoke with Robin Simon. Just says, hey, I'm Tyler, 21-year-old white, queer, trans guy, he, him. I'm a university student in Canada who focuses on drawing, illustration, and art history. I post a lot of cats and cute animals, Professor Layton, Star Trek, and a lot of shitposting. Always expect me to be super gay and constantly thinking about doing something scandalous and illegal. Um, and then I say, like, my zodiac is Libra, and then, like, telling people to f*** off if they're homophobic or transphobic. I participate in the Tumblr community mostly by um, running, like, fan art blogs. So mostly I just make things and use that as an opportunity to talk to other people. There's definitely, like, communities I've considered myself or do consider myself a part of online um, that are mostly fandom-based. I get really emotionally invested in stories and characters and in being able to like think about them and rewrite their stories. Specifically having an interest in like a lot of sci-fi and video games is very much a like a cis boys club and I think being a, a visibly queer trans guy trying to enter those spaces can feel intimidating and there's usually not a lot of people like me. Whereas online, that's not going to be the first thing somebody notices about me because the persona online is just based on what I want to share in that moment. So I think it's always something I'd pursue online just because I don't think those spaces exist 
um, in most cities physically. Well, I met Leander three years ago. We were in a mutual fandom, and then he messaged me and was like, oh, I see, like, you like my stuff, haha, like, just, I don't know, something super awkward and jokey like that, and... Yeah, then we struck up a friendship through that, and, um, like, once we ran out of stuff to talk about in the fandom, we just talked more to each other and knew more about each other as people, and then three years went by, and we decided it was time to, to really meet up with each other and get a chance to see each other in person, so made the decision to go to Wisconsin and visit him. Especially because he's from, like, Wisconsin. Um, like, I, I have no reason to be talking to people from there. We just wouldn't have met. Like, no way. <laughs> it's important because you get to meet people that you normally wouldn't get to meet. And I think we all have a lot of really niche interests that we like. And having that opportunity to really, like, open up and get rid of a lot of the things that would prevent you from talking to someone, just, like presumptions we make about each other it sort of takes a lot of those away and lets you just get right to like i like this you like this we can strike up a conversation right away yeah i don't know i'm very big on fandoms it's such a relief honestly just to have those connections because it's easy to to already feel isolated when you are a queer person it's like the best way to feel wholly accepted and you get to make those really close friends that way That was Tyler Anderson speaking with Robin Simon. Men often find themselves without a community. They immerse themselves in their work and family, but sometimes miss out on friendships that can help stave off depression. For some men, playing sports can prevent loneliness. Paul Quinette is a clinical psychologist at the University of Washington School of Medicine. He's written extensively over the last 35 years on men's depression and suicide and how to prevent it. He says that being on a team and being part of that community is important to men's mental health. The necessary communications when you're on a team, they're, they're critical. It's all around those, you know, chatting about the game and about this or whatever it is. It's about relationship and managing things and being a part of something uh, you're needed you need to show up you need to um, you know you need to be there and when you're there you know you can talk about other things my name is steve mcsween i play soccer for halifax athletics uh as a father of two you work 40 hours a week and you just come home and you're with your family uh, it's important, I find, because you should always have uh, a moment for yourself. That way you can be, come home, be a better husband, be a better father, have more energy. Just that old mental getaway, just one hour a week, two hours a week, whether it be the gym, hockey rink, or soccer. I, think, I believe everybody should, should do it. You go to the soccer field or a hockey rink, and you have friends there that you that you know, and you know you can get away from your everyday and talk about something else or do something else. See, what men really need is they need to be needed. Um, you know, when America was recruiting for World War II and Australia as well and New Zealand, they didn't say, you know, we'd like you to join the army and fight the enemy. They said, we need you to join the army. Men need to be needed. And the suicide rates are lower in, in areas where men are a part of a social fabric. 
you know everybody wants more friends and it's another uh access to talk to someone get out of the house do something of the that that's different than usual maybe you can go uh go out for a golf game uh just grab a beer or grab a meal af- after a soccer game with guys and it's you know not a big deal you're not out very long but it's just something different and i believe it helps you so much more from the normal stresses of work every day uh family life all that kind of stuff that was soccer player steve mcsween before that we heard from paul quinette a psychologist at the university of washington school of medicine if you're not familiar with the horse world I can tell you, it's a tight-knit place. I've been involved all my life. But even within it, there are smaller communities. There are the hunter-jumpers, the ones that leap over sticks. There are the barrel racers, who are all about the speed. There are the team penners, who work as a team to herd cows. And that's just a few examples. Switching between those communities can make a horse person feel like they're starting all over. Lindsay Smith had that exact experience when she began dating her now husband, Brent. She was a barrel racer who was a newcomer to his team penning world. Now, the Lawrencetown couple is using that experience to help them welcome others to their community. I was kind of a horse person, and I thought a very well-established horse person, but then coming into a whole other world that was new to me, and new people, and new friends, and everything else, and... I think I stuck to my roots for a long time. I drug my heels switching to cow horse stuff for a long time. I thought the penning was a bit kind of roughneck kind of stuff. And it, you know. A little light on respect for her. I was definitely a little light on respect for it, for sure. Well, there was no way that I was going the other way. <laughs> That's just being honest. That wasn't going to happen. But I really wanted her to see how see how we worked and see how our horses worked and I know she really enjoy it. One trailer, one truck, pick your direction and go. And he was not going my way. No way. So it was kind of like, well, jump in, I guess. I find that it's kind of good that we both had a really different background because even in this past clinic, we had somebody Brent said, "Oh, well they signed up a hunter jumper person." And I said, "Who is it?" And it turns out of course I knew her because I showed with her years ago. So I find that we have kind of a wider reach because of the varying background that now it kind of almost makes it more welcoming for people because chances are one of us has known them from somewhere and we can kind of relate with them a little bit. So I find it does kind of open the door and make it a little bit more welcoming for people that don't know anything about it to come and play. And we've been pushing with the new with the <clears throat> shows and whatnot around. The new people are super welcome to yeah. to come, and that's a very important part of that. I think in the last number of year or two that some of the upper riders have realized how important the new people are, and now they're really making an extra push and extra... It really does feed the sport. ...to help <clears throat> invite more people coming up, to come along and to help them. So I'm not invo- involved with the horse community, and I didn't know that there were so many little offshoots... There's a lot of different groups, but all of them are really good at creating community. That's our podcast today, the Community Edition. Thanks for listening. 
We're with the audio workshop at the University of King's College School of Journalism. I'm Kathleen Jones. And I'm Laura Hardy. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Signal Radio HFX to keep up with our little audio community. That includes our producer, Dorsa Islami, and associate producer, Ava Coulter. Last but not least, our technician, Mark Pino, and our audio prof, Pauline Dakin. You can find us on the iTunes podcast app or on our SoundCloud under the signal, a Halifax podcast. Until next time, here's hoping you're listening with your peeps.